Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. I'm going to talk about another serial killer that preyed on people in South Florida. I've talked about the beauty queen serial killer from Boynton Beach. And I've asked the question, is your boyfriend a serial killer? Kind of outlining what it really means to be a serial killer. But in this case, we're talking about Lucifer. The devil is definitely a serial killer. But this guy, Lucius Boyd, better known as Lucifer, on death row now in Florida, is a serial killer. He was convicted of rape and murder of a Broward woman in 2002, but he still lives on on death row because authorities believe he's behind a slew of other killings. Now, in the early morning hours of December 5th, 1998, 21-year-old Donia DaCosta's car ran out of gas. So she went to a gas station off of Oakland Park Boulevard. It was around midnight. It was right after a church service. So she'd been to church and she bought a gallon of gas and she was walking back from the Texaco station to put the gas in her car when people witnessed her being taken into a van by another black man. But some people, some of the witnesses said, oh, the van was maroon. Other people said, no, the van was turquoise or teal. And it had the word hope on it. So there were conflicting descriptions of the van. People at the gas station say they saw DaCosta speaking with a black man in the parking lot. And then she was last seen getting into the church van with the man to whom she was speaking. And he was later identified as Lucius Boyd. So on December 7th, two days later, DaCosta's body was discovered by a dumpster. She was just dumped in an alley behind a warehouse. It was wrapped in a shower curtain, a brown bed sheet, and a yellow bed sheet. She had a purple laundry bag and two other large black trash bags over her head. Now, there was a lot of forensic evidence, and it showed that she died due to a penetrating head wound. Apparently, a screwdriver went through her skull. There was bruising on her head. It was consistent with the faceplate of a reciprocating saw. She had wounds to her chest and arms and head, consistent with a torque screwdriver. In fact, some of the wounds, the contact wounds, were star-shaped, like a Phillips head screwdriver. Her body also had vaginal bruising. The autopsy report shows DaCosta was stabbed 36 times in the chest, but most of these were superficial stab wounds. The real killer was the blow to the head. An autopsy report shows that the markings on her body match the type of screwdriver and saw that were missing from the van. According to the court documents, her body was wrapped in the laundry bag, looked like one missing from the van. And then there were bite marks on her body. And apparently, Lucifer bit her arm and he actually took a bite out of her leg and ate it. The bite marks matched impressions from Boyd's teeth. Now, Lucius Boyd did routine maintenance for the Hope Outreach Ministry Church. So, okay, so on the outside, he's a, a nice guy working for a church. He's driving around in a church van. The church owned the teal van, and he was driving the van on the weekend of the DaCosta murder. Now, witnesses at the gas station where DaCosta was last seen alive recalled seeing the word hope on the teal van that DaCosta was in, leaving the gas station. The van contained various tools owned by the church, including a set of torque screwdrivers and a reciprocating saw. So DNA and hair evidence from DaCosta's body matched Boyd's DNA profile. Remember, back then, the first trial using DNA evidence convicted a rapist in Tampa in 1997, so it was still new science. Bite marks on DaCosta's arm where he took a chunk out of it were consistent with Boyd's teeth. 
Tire tracks on one of the sheets used to cover DaCosta were consistent with the tires on the church van. So Boyd was also a suspect, though, in the disappearance of the daughter of a BSO sergeant and the murder of a Palm Beach prostitute. So he was very busy. And on January 30th, a circuit court jury found Boyd guilty of murder, and they sentenced him to death. But he is a suspect in at least 10 other homicides or disappearances, and he was acquitted, get this, in 1993. He was acquitted of murdering a man he claimed he stabbed in self-defense. But if he had not been acquitted of that murder and he was incarcerated due to that homicide, it's quite possible that DaCosta and his other murder and rape victims would still be alive today. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Lucius Boyd was born March 22, 1959. He's just over 60 years old now. In Broward County, his family owned a funeral home in Fort Lauderdale. He's been married twice. He's the father of at least eight children. He's been sued by four separate women for failing to pay child support. Big surprise there. Boyd's own mother fired him from the funeral home once because he missed work. She said, you're dead to me. I'm just kidding. Funeral home. Anyway, Uh, also prior to 1998, he was struggling financially. He couldn't afford his own apartment. He had to stay at the family's home and plantation for a long period of time. And this kind of frustrated him. And as I said, Boyd worked as a handyman for the Hope Outreach Ministries. And according to Boyd's family, he had an ongoing cocaine problem. In 1990, he choked his second wife, Jill McCormick, to the point of unconsciousness. Apparently, she had threatened to leave him because he was cheating on her. So he was charged with felony aggravated battery. But it was later reduced to a misdemeanor charge, meaning that he was only given probation. So, in 1992, he was accused of raping a girl during a date on her 18th birthday. No charges were filed there because the victim declined to prosecute. So, there's all these red flags that could have locked him up and prevented him from killing other people. October 18th, 1993, he stabbed Roderick Bullard to death on a Fort Lauderdale street with a kitchen knife during an argument over a car. So Bullard was the brother of one of Boyd's girlfriends, and he told police that Bullard had hit him and that he just lost it. Well, he admitted that Bullard had no weapon, never threatened him, and during the trial, Boyd's defense attorneys turned the tables on Bullard, playing up the fact that he had cocaine in his bloodstream. The jury called Boyd's action self-defense, acquitted him of the killing, and if he wasn't acquitted of that killing, as I said before, and had been incarcerated, I wonder if other victims like Dunia would still be alive today. In fact, Broward and Palm Beach County deputies believe Boyd is responsible for a number of unsolved murders and rapes of several women. August 13, 1997, the naked body of 24-year-old Melissa Floyd was found in some high grass near the guardrail in 95 in Palm Beach County. She'd been stabbed multiple times. Sort of his M.O. Floyd wasn't positively identified until four months later, and Floyd was known to smoke crack near the Boyd family funeral home. Her ID card was discovered by Boyd's family members on the funeral home grounds a few weeks after her body was found. However, there was no physical evidence linking Boyd to the crime. In June of 1998, 19-year-old Patrice Alston was seen getting into a green Mazda with Boyd. The two were supposedly going on a trip to Winter Haven. That's about 200 miles away up in the Orlando area. Boyd returned the next day without Alston, and she hasn't been seen since. But Boyd told cops that witnesses could verify that she'd been returned from the trip safe and sound. 
but those witnesses later denied ever having seen her. Investigators are convinced that Boyd knows where Alston's body is located. Now, Donia Hope DaCosta, isn't that weird? Her middle name is Hope, and the word Hope was on the van in which she was taken. She was 21 years old. She was a choir singer, student studying to become a pediatric nurse practitioner. She had her whole life ahead of her. She worked at American Express as a customer service representative. And on the evening of December 4th, 1998, she left work at 10 p.m., went to church where she prayed until 1 a.m. The following morning on her way home, she ran out of gas. That would be December 5th. This was on I-95. She walked to the nearby Texaco station where a witness spotted her and noted that she looked scared. And behind DaCosta was a church van with the word Hope, her middle name, printed on the side. DaCosta was seen getting inside the van with a black male who was seen behind the wheel. Later, he was identified as Boyd and he was accused of eating part of her leg while smoking crack, to which he later admitted. Oh my God. So according to police, sometime after getting in the van, Boyd struck her across the head, took her back to his apartment, and struck her a dozen more times with a blunt instrument and cracked her skull open. She was stabbed a total of 36 times with a screwdriver. She was raped, beaten, murdered, and stripped naked. And then she was wrapped in sheets, bags, and a plastic shower curtain. Her body dumped in an alley, as I said, by a dumpster behind a warehouse in Oakland Park and wasn't discovered for two more days on December 7th. Detectives from Broward County Sheriff's Office began their investigation into Costa's murder by looking for that van with hope on it. It wasn't spotted until January 30th, 1999, so it was almost a whole month later where it was seen in front of a Christian daycare center in Lauder Hill. The van's owner, Reverend Frank Lloyd, No relation to Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect. And Lloyd, who ran Hope Outreach Ministry, said he employed Boyd as a handyman. He told police Boyd had used the van from December 4th to December 7th. That's the time frame in question. So on March 25th, 1999, a sample of Boyd's DNA came back from the crime lab as a match to the semen found on DaCosta's body the next day he was arrested. Now, Boyd, after he was arrested, claimed he was suffering from memory lapses during his interviews about the murder of DaCosta. He was called a cold-blooded killer without a conscience by an interviewing detective. I was told by a woman who was a guard on death row that she would look into the eyes of some of these killers like Eileen Warnos, and they looked like black doll eyes, lifeless. Apparently, Boyd had the same dark, beady eyes Finally, he said, hey, what took you so long to find me? And then he lawyered up. I need a lawyer. That's when they stop talking to you. If you're ever interviewed by police and they take you down to the quote unquote station and they start talking to you and they say, you're not under arrest. We just want to talk to you. You can consent to that. If they don't Mirandize you and tell you your rights, you can leave at any time. But if they do read you your Miranda rights... And you say anything like, gee, do I need a lawyer? Should I have a lawyer? Is there a lawyer that I can talk to? Or you just say the word lawyer. They have to stop talking to you. So after he was arrested, then detectives searched his apartment, which was a treasure trove of evidence. They recovered blood that was later found to be DaCosta's. Two sheets that had been wrapped around the victim's body were identified as having disappeared from his apartment. Before he was sent to jail, Boyd accused the Broward County Sheriff's Office of working for the Ku Klux Klan and claimed he was being set up in an attempt to discredit his family. Boyd was eventually found guilty of DaCosta's murder on June 21st, 
2002. That happens to be my parents' wedding date, June 21st. It's lovely to get married in June. Apparently a lovely time of year to murder somebody. He still sits on death row. That's a long time to be on death row, almost 20 years, 18 years. I wonder if they'll ever give him the needle. But something interesting about the injuries, they're called patterned injuries, that Dania had from the screwdriver, they can identify the screwdriver and the saw, the reciprocating saw that were missing from the van. And that's how many times killers are identified because of an object that was used in the murder can be linked back to the killer. So the pattern injury is something that has a distinct pattern that may reproduce the characteristics of the object causing the injury. So the pattern may be caused by the impact of a weapon or another object on the body or by contact of the body with the pattern surface. Like they can identify that a body was lying on a, a safety belt harness in a car and they can match it to the car. So blunt force wounds, the technology of these wounds are contusion, which is a bruise, get that in your eye, abrasion like a scrape, a laceration is a tear, and avulsion is caused by pulling or tearing. Now injuries can be subdivided according to the type of force involved. Blunt force injuries, like Dania suffered, these are the most commonly seen of group pattern injuries. Abrasions preserve patterns well, especially if the force is applied near perpendicular to the skin surface. So like hitting and right on the top of the head. Bruises may also reproduce patterns as well, particularly if they're mainly intradermal under the skin. Lacerations less frequently show a well-defined reproduction of the shape of the injuring agent. The handle of a gun, the type of rope used to strangle someone around the neck, wood splinters from a board or a bat used to beat somebody. These can all be linked back to a certain piece of evidence. Now, knife wounds can show class characteristics of a specific type of blade, like a fishtail appearance of a stab wound. Some serrated knives leave a tooth pattern. Phillips head screwdriver, scissors, they all produce distinctive patterns. Now, gunshot wounds, you have a contact entry wound, which may have sight marks. And shotgun wounds, especially with wad marks, may produce distinct pattern injuries and stippling. Other miscellaneous wounds and marks are like a fern-like pattern when you're hit by lightning. It's called ferning. Tool marks on internal structures such as cartilage. Sometimes when a skeleton is found in the desert, it's been there for years, they can still tell how the person died if they find knife, nicks, or gouges in the bone or remaining cartilage. So these pattern injuries can help link the perpetrator to the crime. And there was a crime that happened in Tampa that finally was solved, it was a cold case, but finally was solved by a pattern injury. And it was the murder of a Tampa insurance inspector who was found floating in the Hillsborough River. She had been raped and beaten, and she actually, her body ended up in the dam, it floated upstream. And she was in the river for 30 hours, but she still had an unusual pattern injury on the side of her head. Now you wouldn't think insurance business is really a dangerous profession, but strange things happen. and. It happened in this case. In 2004, Florida's young Katie Freshel was a recent college graduate working for the Florida Farm Bureau Insurance as a claims adjuster. It was hurricane season and claims for property damage were very, very high. And November 12th, Katie was called to inspect some flood damage in Tampa at home there. It was kind of in a, a bad area, a bad neighborhood. It was a routine home inspection still during hurricane season, but it turned into a living nightmare for Katie. She had the wrong address. She called the insurance company to get the correct address. She finally then found the place, and that's the last they heard from her. 
Now, to this day, authorities are unsure what drove the resident of the home, Jason Funk, to hit Katie over the head with a motorcycle muffler and then dump her body into the river behind the house. Although he repeatedly denied involvement in her death, local police used forensics to show that he definitely was the killer. They found Katie's blood in the house, even on his tennis shoes, and they found a motorcycle muffler that had like a round appendage with a hole in it on the side of it, and it matched perfectly with the contact injury on the side of Katie's head. Believe it or not, there are not a lot of ways to reproduce how the skin reacts to a beating, so sometimes forensic experts use an actual honeydew melon (laughs) to test whatever they think is the murder weapon, and they beat the honeydew melon, and then they see if the marks on the melon match the marks on the melon of the victim, the head of the victim. And that's one of the surefire ways to tell whether or not this muffler actually was the murder weapon. Another devilish detail that can incriminate somebody is a shoe print. Now, every shoe is the same after they're manufactured. When they come out the line, they're the exact same as the other one before it until they're actually worn. And once they're worn, then they pick up gouges and scratches and rocks and and the way the person walks. And each shoe then becomes an individual, almost fingerprint. So there was a guy that stepped on a tomato and they were able... (laughs) They were able to match his shoe print to the tomato. I mean, you can leave shoe prints in blood. Blood is like motor oil. It's like really sticky and viscous, and it's easy to leave prints in. So just be aware uh, that shoe prints, they can tell the size of the shoe, the make of the shoe. Like OJ, who said, I never wore those ugly-ass Bruno Magli shoes, and then we found a photo of him wearing them. What a dumbass. Still, he was found not guilty, even though shoe prints from the Bruno Magli shoes were found in the blood at Nicole's home. So I want to move on to another story quickly here and fully and rigorously investigate what happened to little Tilly Tudor, who was driving her little sedan along 595 one day and got rear-ended and went missing. I was a traffic reporter from 1997 up until 2007, and I used to fly over Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties and cover traffic and breaking news. In a helicopter, I would talk and run the camera. And this was one of the accidents that was very, very puzzling. If you think it can't happen to you, the strange and the bizarre can happen to anybody. And in this case, this grandma, 83-year-old grandma Tilly Tudor, was on her way to the airport to pick up her granddaughter, driving her little car along 595 eastbound, and all of a sudden, she went missing. Where the hell is Tilly Tudor? And after waiting a few hours, Tudor's granddaughter, Lori Sims, called the police to report her missing. Apparently what happened on her way to the airport, Tudor's car was hit from behind and the impact sent her and her car over the guardrail and it landed suspended in a thicket of mangroves underneath the interstate. Tudor spent three days surviving on rainwater that she caught with a steering wheel cover and sucking on a button to keep her mouth moist. Of course, Tilly screamed for help, but no one heard her. For the next three days, the 83-year-old retiree struggled to survive as the temperature soared above 90 degrees. Three days later, while picking up litter, a 15-year-old, his kid's name is Justin Vanelli, looked down off the eastbound 595 ramp and spotted Tudor's car stuck in the trees. It took more than 25 rescuers over an hour 
to get Tudor out of there. She suffered cuts and scrapes and bruises in the crash, but no broken bones, thank God. She was covered with blisters and insect bites when they found her. Here's what they thought happened. They think that she was hit by a heavy vehicle, possibly a truck or a tractor trailer, slammed in the back of her Toyota Tercel, driving east on I-595, about a half mile east of I-95. The impact caused her car to slide along the concrete barrier wall for roughly 35 feet before catapulting into the mangrove swamp below. This is according to the FHP. The second driver apparently never stopped. I remember an accident was reported that morning on 595, and FHP showed up to the accident scene but didn't see any vehicles. They searched and searched, and then they left. They never found Tilly, who was below them. So over the weekend when she was reported missing, the sheriff's divers searched area canals and waterways, helicopters hunted by air, troopers combed portions of the fence line. They drove along 595. Of course, they didn't see the car because it was hanging in a tree below the road. One guy, one detective even drove to Vero Beach to check out a reported sighting of Tudor. They never found her. So when this kid approached the car, they heard Tudor call out in a feeble voice, can you guys get me out of here? So finally, they were able to load her into a basket and haul her up onto the freeway by a crane. She actually had her feet under the dashboard and her upper body in the back seat. And she told her granddaughter that her car flipped three times after it went over the bridge, coming to a rest in the mangroves. And she said she was dangling by her seatbelt, so she unfastened it. And finally, she said that she was reaching for her phone during the accident. And after the accident, she couldn't find her phone. It was lost. This reminds me, whoop, 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 as she's flipping three times, whoop, 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 reminds me of my snapping turtle, Yertle the turtle. He once bit my finger and I panicked and flipped him in the air and he (laughs) spun around several times and landed, but not in the mangroves, in the corner. So Tudor's accident happened when she was 83 and she lived to be 98 years old. This woman is a testament to survival. She fully and rigorously enjoyed life. Well, that wraps up Full Rigor. I'm Karen Curtis. Thanks for joining me. Until next time. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, Ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.